Hello and welcome to episode three of the weekly general meeting podcast, a showcase of emerging and established Irish creative talent presented by myself, Neil Conlon, and this fella, Shane Langan. On this week's show, comedian Garrod Farrelly talks cohabitation. We have music from Leanne Hart and James Vincent McMurrow tells us the top five things he's learned since becoming a musician. One small bit of housekeeping before we press on. We're on the hunt for sponsorship partners for this podcast. We've always run our live shows for free, and this is a free podcast. We'd like to keep it free, so if you think your business would be a good fit for the WGM, please do get in contact for more details. Email theweeklygm at gmail.com. But to kick things off, we have a Dublin comedian who's recently supported the likes of Sarah Millican and Joan Rivers on their UK tours. His new podcast, Fascinated, is available from iTunes and is well worth a listen. This is Garode Farrelly. Hello, how are you? Are you good? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, thanks. I always get a bit nervous actually when people say comedian because I always think that it brings an air ex- of like expectation to a room, doesn't it? Whereas I prefer people to think that I was just on my way to the toilet and they just saw the mic and thought, how hard can this be? It's going to be fine. <laughs> Um, I'm one of the things I'm a comedian, but like, um, so comedian is kind of very light, isn't it? It's like just jokey, jokey, jokey. I'm kind of looking for my purpose at the moment. Like, I'm trying to find, you know, what's the purpose of comedy. And uh, I was reading, uh, and one of the things that it said is that a comedian's job is to satirize the government uh, back to the electorate, so they can make informed democratic decisions. <laughs> Which just seems like a lot of work, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I don't really do that. <laughs> I, I should say, I'm going to say that up front, I, I don't really have any political material at all. I just have one minor political observation. It's very minor. It's p- practically insignificant. I just wonder, who does Mary Lou MacDonald's fake tan? <laughs> um, because she's orange. <laughs> and she's Sinn Féin. I just, like, I just think they should have thought that through, like, you know, um, like, when has Sinn Féin's message ever been progressed by people smearing brown stuff on their faces? (laughs) Ridiculous. Um, one of the things that happened to me recently, it's something nice, uh, something nice happened to me, actually, I I recently moved in with my boyfriend, um, deal with it. Um, but it is, it's so, it, it is so lovely, like, I don't know if anyone here has moved in with anyone recently, I, I don't know if that's happened, anyone, no. Okay, we're not answering your road, we're all alone and barren. <laughs> well, I, I, re- I recently moved in with my boyfriend, uh, and it, it is so, it's so nice when you move in with somebody at the start, isn't it? It's so, like, at the start, it's so nice, it, like, it's so romantic at the start. Um, right at the very start. <laughs> It's so romantic, but it does change. That's what I found. And I, I always think that that's maybe that could be a purpose, like just to warn people of that, like don't ruin your relationship. It does change a little bit. Um, that afternoon, that's what I found. <laughs> because I think moving in with somebody is like, uh, it's like inviting people to come over for dinner, isn't it? It's like you never really expect them to show up. It's just something you do when you're at dinner at somebody else's house and you've had a couple of glasses of wine and you kind of think, next one, everyone come over to me. I don't know. <laughs> Come over to me and, everyone, and then they show up. 
and it's horrendous. <laughs> like I tried to do that this year um, for, I wanted to do a new tradition because I'm an adult now for Christmas. And I thought on Christmas Eve, everyone come over to me. Everyone just come over to me, come over to me. Come I'm an adult, come over to me. Have you ever tried to cook for nine people in an open plan apartment? Have you ever tried that? You have to keep opening the fridge door to bawl your fucking eyes out. That's what happens in that situation. <laughs> and it is, like, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult living together. That's what I found. I, mainly because I lived in that apartment for five years on my own. Uh, out of choice. Thank you very much. Um, but, when he, like, but when he arrived, like, with all, you know, all, all his stuff, like, he was, like, making it his home. <laughs> ruining the place, that's what he was doing, he was ruining it. Like, we voted to make allowances, like, he doesn't, in fairness to him, like, he doesn't change things too much, like, he, he, do, he doesn't. Um, and the allowances that I make is I've learned that screaming, because it's my apartment, is not a reasonable response <laughs> to him asking why I didn't put the milk away. Um, and the thing that scares me as well, the thing that scares me about moving in with somebody um, is it's, you have to kind of believe on some level, don't you, that it's forever. Clearly not. <laughs> but you do, I think that you shouldn't move in with somebody unless you think it's forever. And I do, like, I, I really, I do sort of, like, I do think sort of that it's forever. <laughs> I do, like, I do really believe that. But if, if, God forbid, now God forbid, but, <laughs> but if something happened to him, you know, God forbid, <laughs> I know exactly how I do the wardrobe. Um, and I know, I know what it sounds like. I know, like, we're probably all a bit liberal here. Are we liberal? <laughs> and we're all, like, you know, pro-gay marriage. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but I, I, just think, I just think if you're pro-gay marriage, you try living with one. <laughs> it's very difficult when they're unemployed and they use all your moisturizer. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But my mother, my mother is, she's getting on board with that. She's like, gay marriage. Like, she keeps, like, saying to politicians, when's he gonna have a day? When's he gonna... <laughs> like, it's terrible. Because I think that if you're in your 30s, there is nothing, there is nothing more stressful than your parents realizing that every dream you've ever let go of has suddenly become achievable if you'd only put the work in. <laughs> like, that is a whole new level of parental stress. But uh, that's, oh, that's my time, sorry I've gone over. But you've been absolutely lovely, thank you very much. Leanne Hart has been writing and releasing music since her teens. She played a show for us in an abandoned chocolate factory in 2013, the same week she released her fantastic Restless Sleepers EP. And a few weeks ago, accompanied by Bob Gallagher, she dropped in to play us a song. Cool. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is a song off, this is a title track off my new EP. Um, it's called Rest of Sleepers. We carried on like a sleepless night. I was always around. 
it back Roll me on your bitter tongue I'm sick of hearing your reasons why While you dance me on and on and on When we were losers we lost it all All that we had at the start But you've never lost it all, have you dear?
James Vincent McMurrow is a Dublin musician who shot notoriety when his 2010 album Early in the Morning received all sorts of incredible love, attention and acclaim. He's just finished touring his brilliant new album Post Tropical and he popped over to Neil's flat to give us his top five tips. I don't know where to start with the heavy shit or start with the, like the light stuff because it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where you're like, these things are all based on my life experience. So it's all like, don't fucking trust that. You know, it's, I don't want to be like, and I come across like a curmudgeon-y fucker, but at the same time, what's the, okay, what's the first one? First one, keep it light, uh, is piece of advice. It would be to live in more than one country. At some point, live in another country because otherwise you've no, I don't think you've any real clue what, like I grew up in Dublin and I love Dublin and it's so comfortable and so tightly knit and everywhere you go, you know people and that's really comforting. And then I went to London and it was incredibly terrifying. I remember the first time I went to London and I'd never, I'd been to London with my parents when I was a kid, but I'd never gone as an adult. And I had my I had a guitar with me and I had a backpack. I literally looked like a cliche. And I was standing on the the escalator going into the tube and I stood on the left. And anybody that lives in London knows don't ever stand on the left, like because people will just run you over. And I had headphones on and people were screaming at me. And it was like eleven in the afternoon. Like they didn't have anywhere, you know, people that's the thing with London. It's it's overwhelming. But there was that element to it and he's just like, Holy shit, this is crazy. And then I got on the tube on my back. <laughs> I have my bag on my back and one of the zippers wasn't well fastened on it. And I stood up to go. And next second I saw my, my socks roll down the middle of the tube, of the tube carriage. And this woman just started laughing. And I thought, well, this is brilliant. But it was, but it was, but it was brilliant. It was, it was the most amazing time in my life, but also the most terrifying time in my life because it was right before I made the first record. And I went over there with such high hopes of doing it. And, having that wanting that experience of like the bright lights in the big city and the not the aggression of london but the kind of speed and pace of it and then what i got was just uh, doors closed in my face but also that juxtaposed against what was an amazing experience of the bright lights in the big city and on all those things that you think about that couldn't be real and you go to london you're like wow it is you know people go here and they go there and on all these places are these little enclaves and people that live in north london it's like you know, if you said to someone, I live on the north side of Dublin City, you're like, okay, cool, I'll see you in 20 minutes. But if someone lives in Clapham and you live in Islington, it's like, I'll see you in a year, maybe. And they're, everybody's like checking their diaries and they're like, I can, we can do this day, three months time. So it's that thing. And then when I came back here, it, uh, everything just seems different. Everything just seems better. When, you, when I came back here anyway, I, don't, I think I had more of an appreciation for, for Dublin than I had before. And then when I go to other cities as well, you just kind of, yeah, it's it just it, it's really cliche to say it broadens your horizons, but it does. It just gives you a different feel and a different understanding of of yourself and and what you can tolerate as well and what you like and what you want for yourself. So yeah, live in another city for a period of time. Uh, next one, what was the next one? Next one will probably be give up drinking for uh, a, again a period of time. For me, it's 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 an it's an ongoing thing. I gave up drinking about a year and a bit ago. I gave up drinking for me because I drank a lot and I was on tour all the time. And it went from being the greatest party in the world to the most depressing party that you can never leave. So it was like, okay, it's time to stop. And 
uh, I mean, I, you never think about the levels to which you drink or anything like that. And this isn't me giving like a public service announcement, like people want to drink, I don't care. But, and, and I'm not saying that I'd never drink again, but what struck me, and again, I guess it's not dissimilar to the, the idea of living in another country is the perspective it gives you, is that when I stopped and then I went out in Dublin on a Saturday night and I saw all these pe all the people and a week before that I was that person thinking that I'm hilariously charming by like smacking into people and running out into the street and you just realize that it's not funny and or charming it's just kind of stupid and that we're we're better than that and that I'm better than that but that you don't realize it because you're doing it and you think it's hilarious so you're just like and that was me I was that type of guy I'm, I'm a shy individual I used to drink it used to make me feel less shy so and I understand that instinct and people come up on the street when they're drinking and they'll talk to you in a way that they wouldn't if they were sober in a million years but because you're drunk, you don't realize how it comes across or what it does. So it's just if I was to ever start drinking again or if I was to ever have a drink again with the having seen it from that side of being just a really hardcore drinker and just traveling and drinking and playing and being able to sustain that lifestyle pretty decently for a year and a half. And not only that, play in front of thousands of people every night and not remember a thing. I remember I got off, show, off stage the last night I drank. I got a stage in London and I couldn't tell you what I did on stage. I'd just tell you that people stood up at the end. So I know it was a good show, but I don't know what I did. And that was so sad to me because I missed it. I missed the biggest London show I've ever played. And, and that was, that was really, that's just a sad thing because that's their memories that are gone. So it's just important to kind of remember those things, I think. And you don't know them until you, you kind of take it away and you see the world without it and then you go okay if i ever do do this again then it'll it'll be different I'll, I'll think about it differently hopefully anyway so yeah give up drinking for just a little while see how it goes third one third one i guess i should talk about musicy stuff because i don't know about anything else i know about drink drinking and i know about countries but i don't yeah so I don't, the only thing i know about is music um and i guess that's what people are might be vaguely interested in um i guess this is the this is the jazz portion of the thing is where I'm just kind of on the fly. I I've always felt that you should never get lessons <laughs> in things until you reach a level where you have uh, an idea about what you you want to say or what you want to do. So when it comes to art, I'm talking about sort of creative things. I mean, if if you want to you know be a physician, you have to get lessons. <laughs> you know, you have to learn. But if you want to be a musician or an artist. You can't, every musician, everybody that teaches is somebody that has been taught or someone that's tried to do something and maybe succeeded to a certain level, maybe not. Everything informs you. Everything informs me. It's like how I perceive music is based on my successes and or failures. And everything I've learned is based on what other people have taught me and what I've taught myself. But I remember when I was a kid and I had lessons and I was getting lessons and I was in school and I wasn't a particularly profound musician at all when I barely played music when I was a kid. And it was very much because I was very shy and I was intrigued by it. But I, every time I went into a lesson, it was like, here's what you do. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just play G over and over again. Or I wanted to sing really high or sing. I, but then when I sang really high out loud, the teachers in my choir class were like, you need to sing lower because you're a boy that kind of thing and not in a kind of they were just like that's what you do because you're that's what you do you don't sing high you, you're not going to sing with the girls you're going to sing over here with the boys in the tenor section and it was like okay but 
that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to sing high and I wanted to play the G chord on the guitar over again. And and it wasn't I wasn't allowed to do that. And that's not their fault. They're just doing what they're taught to do. So it took me a little while to learn to understand music. It wasn't until I left school. I think if you went and talked to my teachers in uh, primary school and in secondary school that they would have been quite surprised to find out that I wanted to be a musician because there was nothing in my background to suggest it because I just wasn't that personality. And there's kids everywhere, I guess, that have that same instinct. They want to, are intrigued by this. But every time they go and are presented with a teacher, they're like, here's the, here are the fundamentals, here are the, the drills, and these are the things. And they're all worth learning. But I don't know if they're worth learning until you actually give someone a minute to figure it out. Because there's how many instruments are there? How many? I mean, I don't know if I would have wanted to play the trumpet or the clarinet or if I still and I'm blessed now if I want to learn those things I can learn them and I can call someone and I would happily take a lesson now in those things because I understand what I'm doing as a musician I know what I am a professional musician I know how to do this but when the moments when I wasn't learning how to do this and even when I was learning how to write songs and stuff like that I learned from the people that I loved I, I knew I gravitated towards the things that I loved and I took what I needed from them and applied it to my own learning and my own teaching. I self-taught in that in that way. And I just like the the openness of that, rather than sitting in a room and drilling something and it becoming very cold. Because it's it's completely it's almost oxymoronic. It's the it's the anti art. You know, it's it should be you should be allowed to just make a shit ton of mistakes and be terrible for ages and be supported in that. And then at some point, like slowly clean up the edges and go, okay, maybe just pull that in a little bit until it becomes more f formed and molded, and then go here's what you're doing this is what it means and then you understand I understand chords and structures now but I didn't when I was a kid and I love that because you just like you put three together on a little eight track and they'd make sense and you're like I don't know why they make sense but it's amazing that they do and I yeah, I think that's that's a good way to learn or a good way to be at that point and then later on you can you know sit and learn your you know Mixolydian scales or whatever the hell they're called. Yeah, you know, I don't even know what they're called. But yeah, I think there's a time and place for all that stuff. But yeah, I don't think you should, I don't think people should be so worried about learning the basics of things first. Just throw yourself in the deep end and just try and learn a Stevie Wonder song and fail epically. All right, where am I at? Okay, four. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about this recently. So this is more of an open thought slash word of advice at the end. Maybe it'll, 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 become a succinct piece of advice towards the end but it's I was watching we were watching a movie recently we were watching Aliens and first of all Aliens is you know possibly the greatest movie ever but I was thinking about my favorite movies and I was thinking about the disconnect between sometimes what you tell people are your favorite movies and what actually are your favorite movies so my favorite movies are Aliens, Heat and Die Hard in that they're the ones that I've watched at least once a year from, you know, a point in my life. And, but then you'd be out sometimes and people would ask you what your favorite movie is and you'll say something like Cool Hand Luke. Now, I love Cool Hand Luke, I, you know. I love it. I think Paul Newman is a genius, but it's not my favorite movie of all time. But I've said it on occasion, depending on the company I'm keeping. And it just struck me the things that we say in order to feel a certain thing versus the things that we actually believe and I think it's probably something that I come I come at from a musical perspective because that, that's got me thinking and I think about those things a lot. You spend a lot of time as a musician thinking about what the things that you need to do in order to be considered a musician because there's so much more that comes with it. It's not just play music, release music. It's 
how you approach the marketing campaign of music, how you where your music fits, how you dress, how you look, and all of those things define you. So people fixated on my first record about the fact that I have a beard. So people made hay out of that. So it's like, oh, it's folk music because you have a beard because there's markers for that. And while I understand that, I, I think that that's part of that thing that we all have where it's like, well, and then it's because it feeds back into you. You start thinking of yourself like that and you start responding to it. So and you get become afraid to go, you know, I actually don't really care that much about folk music at all. I never have. But you wanted me to do that. So and I wanted to sell records and I'm ambitious. So you just keep going. And it's all vague. I'm trying to pull the threads together in that. I think the point is, is that what you put out there sometimes is not even close to being a reflection of what you believe or what you actually want so if someone loves a Katy Perry song it's always it's a guilty pleasure or it's a guilty pleasure it's like fuck that like if you dig it you dig it that's fine stand behind it a bit more I think we all do that I do that when I was a kid I used to I grew up listening to speed metal and I used grew up listening to like post-hardcore and we when we played in bands we always used to sit and we just play Metallica or we play at the drive-in or we play Refused but then I'd get in my car and I'd listen to the Neptunes. And one of the, you know, the, I would listen to D'Angelo. I, I couldn't buy the D'Angelo voodoo record for years because the picture on the front of it is him naked from like the, just, the, like just the waist up. And it's, I couldn't go into HMV and buy it. It was ridiculous. Because to me, in my mind, I was like, I can't, someone can't see me buying this because they'll, they'll look at me dressed the way I'm dressed and they'll think, what are you doing with this? You know, it doesn't, and all those things have an impact on you. And, and it's a shame because... That record impacted me more than any other record ever impacted me. And I remember driving in my car with three or four of my friends. We were listening to Tool. And then I put on Justified by Justin Timberlake one day. And everybody in the car was just like, this shit's dope. Like, this, is, this shit's awesome. And it's that moment where you're like, fuck it, you know. And I wish there were more of those moments in life. Because I wish there were more diehard moments where someone asks you, what's your favorite movie? And you don't say Citizen Kane. You go, I really love Predator 2 because I think Danny Glover's role in it is highly undervalued in the modern cinema like scape. And those kind of things. I think that there's much more, I feel much more comfortable now than I've ever done before. And I've spent so much time trying to be a musician. I forgot that I am a musician because that's what I do. And it's what the only thing I understand. And when people talk to you in, in interviews, they go, what's your favorite book? And you go, oh, my favorite book is F. Scott Fitzgerald. And it's like, it's one of the books I love. It's not my favorite book of all time. It's, it's just, it just, got, it comes to you because it's like the default thing. It's that thing. So when people go, oh, do you like that Katy Perry song? It's like, hey, it's, it's a guilty pleasure. And it's like, that Roar song is, Open, fuck it like what's the problem with that it's a it's a song it's 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 not the end of the world if you love something and the opposite of that it's wicked that pe people should stand behind that stuff more so that would be my piece of advice is to if your favorite movie is napoleon dynamite say your favorite movie is napoleon dynamite don't you know don't have to be worried about whether people think you love life is beautiful or not you know these are great movies they're different movies but just stand behind it and don't be so concerned the last one, again, is a little vague, and it's kind of based on what what I do and and the things that you don't think about when you start, when you want to be a musician. I mean, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Is it, You just, I say, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking to, like, there's someone else in the room that's actually responding to me. It's not just me talking to, to, to you, the listener. That's pretty good radio voice. Um... Uh, what was I saying? When you start, when you want to become a musician, you do because you want to play music, 
you want to be on stage you want people to respond to what you do you're ambitious you want things to happen for you but you don't think about the people that you'll interact with or the things that will happen the relationships that you'll form or the way some relationships will fall apart i guess and, and the sort of fallout of those things and that's something that i never thought about when i wanted to do this and I'm hoping that this is something that's universally true because I have no idea. I can only look at it from a musical perspective. But I consider myself to be an upright and decent person. I've always tried my best to do my best for everybody that works with me. But in certain areas, I've fallen short consistently. Like I've fallen. Sh I'm not a good man manager. I don't like dealing with people on certain levels. I like playing music. I like the people around me. I like that when they're there. I like that when we work together. Everybody has different agendas and everybody has different plans and, and everybody's plan and agenda is theirs and, and is, it's their right to have it. The thing I never thought about was the fact that what I do affects what they do. And the fact that when I make decisions, it has ramifications for them. And that because of that, people in life might not like you or people might get bothered by you or might resent the decisions that you make. And I've had these experiences in my life where people have come and worked with me or played with me and I've had a way of doing things and I've wanted things for myself and I'm very ambitious I want to make the best music possible that's my only I'm not I don't compromise on that that's and within that I'm not I don't focus on the things that other people might focus on I focus on whatever motivates me I guess and but then other people that are interacting with me are thinking on different levels and I never think about that I've always until recently I've never thought about it I've just kind of gone about my business and then when clashes happen and stuff like that, it's like, okay, and I don't really want to deal with it. So I've kind of pushed stuff off and people have come and gone from my working life and stuff like that. And I'm sure they've gone with an idea about me that I've been less than they wanted me to be because I've made decisions for myself, because that's what people do. They're making decisions for themselves and it doesn't sync up. And that's, I don't even know if this is a piece of advice. It's more just, I guess it is. It's the, just the idea of thinking about human interaction before you know before you undertake something that I didn't think about it it's such an abstract thought being a musician it's and you see I used to watch MTV Cribs and see people in their cars and think it'd be nice to have a nice car and it'd be nice to do those things and be nice to play music and to be considered a success so you pursue those things and then people come into your life and they work with you and they work for you and that's a weird dynamic because I never wanted to be a boss I never wanted to be someone's the head of a ship I didn't I, you know I know how to steer my own ship I don't know how to steer other people's ship so it's weird having people on my boat and them looking to me for direction I never wanted to be that and yet I am that by default because I do what I do and, and I've been lucky and successful and had the, some op and had opportunities. So I think that's it. It's just that idea of thinking. I've, I wish someone had said to me, hey, have a thought about how your actions might affect other people before you get into this because not that it would have made me do things differently. I don't know if it would or not, but I definitely would have stopped for a beat or two at certain places and made sure that I was what I was doing was working for everybody around me and then if it wasn't not that I would have compromised but I would have talked to them and said listen this is what I need to do now so therefore we have to part company where instead I've not done that and it's got to points where it's become fractious and then all of a sudden someone goes and they're walking around with an idea about you in life that you're not what you they think you should be and you know that you are what you should be but you know also know that you've done things in those situations to probably create the situation not to help the situation so I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's kind of a vague one, but it is that idea of just we're like islands in this and we just kind of go about our business and never think about 
how you know if every now and then we knock up against somebody else and it might have a, a knock-on effect so yeah I don't know. It was kind of a downer to end with, so we can edit it so that that one is like right at the start, so it all gets more positive. That's it for this week's show. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at or slash the weekly GM, depending. We'll be back next week with episode four. In the meantime, you can help us grow the podcast by subscribing to it, rating it, and commenting about it on iTunes. All that stuff does really help us grow. And uh, if you... Uh, if you know people who might like the podcast, please do tell them all about it. Spread the word. Uh, that's if you're enjoying the shows. If you're not enjoying the shows, well, then you can just maintain a dignified silence. Our thanks to Gerard Farley, Leanne Hart, and James Vincent McMorrow for contributing. And as always, a very special thanks to the brilliant Ross McCormick for his help with recording and mixing. Remember, if you think your business would be a good fit for the WGM, please do get in contact for more details email theweeklygm at gmail.com. Talk to you next week.